Really excited to open up Daniel 3. It's a crazy passage, isn't it? Uh, a lot in there, uh, a lot of conflict, um, and, and yet really relevant for us as we think through, hold on, when, when, when am I going to get stuck in a situation like that? Because that could happen. Um, and, and we're going to really dig deep into not just the passage, but, 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 but the Bible's sort of ethical framework. This is, we're going to get a little more practical, I guess, uh, today, um, and try, but try and think through, okay, how am I going to be consistent with Scripture here and not just do what I think and feels right? How am I going to actually live how the Bible would have me? Because I could either rant and rail and campaign and push and fight the, fight the power, or I could work alongside it, work along with it and quietly do good in the background. Which one's right? Let's see what God has to say. Um, Will you join me and just pray for me, please, as I do this? Because this is going to be tricky. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We ask now that you would give us wisdom and insight, that you'd help us to see what you would have us see in your word, that together as we, as we mull these things over afterwards and we try and work out how we should honour you with our lives, that, Lord, you'd give us insight, that you'd give us um, uh, the ability to, to make good decisions, and, Lord, that you'd point us towards Jesus, the one who will be with us always and the one who will save us even when we have not made good decisions, the one who can rescue from the wrath of kings and from the wrath of the great king. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, well, we, uh, we're, we're moving this week into sort of like every man kind of territory. Like we, we, we don't have superstar Daniel at the front now, this is, this, is, this is Hananiah, this is, this is Mishael, this is Azariah. These are, these are just your average Christian guys. This is, this is good because I don't think I could ever beat Daniel. You see, Daniel is a rock star. Have you, have you noticed through, through all of this, he's almost Jesus-like. He's so smooth, he's so wise, he's always got an answer. He knows how to get on the good side of the officials. This man's made of steel. He doesn't freeze in the moment. He's just, he is fantastic. Regular Pete does not have the tact, the wit, the ability, to, the cleverness to face the king and to do this kind of thing. Uh, some of you guys may have seen Guy Mason uh, from City on a Hill in Melbourne a few weeks ago on Sunrise. Anyone catch a little bit of that? Um, he was dealing with this issue. I don't know if you've seen the story, but uh, if you're, uh, I guess you guys are, you guys are all footy fans down here, aren't you? You should know this stuff. So, you know, uh, Andrew Thorburn, who is the chairman of the board of City on a Hill, was also going to become the CEO of, it's Melbourne? Melbourne? Essendon. There you go. See, I, I knew it was a red and black one. Anyway, um, uh, he was going to become CEO of the Essendon Football Club, right? See, yeah, the wrong kind of football, wrong shape ball. Um, now, there's this difficulty where the club was saying, how could you do this? Because of the church that you're a part of has values so different to us. You, you, can't, have, you can't serve two masters. You could almost hear the, the, uh, the board saying. And they're right, but, but anyway... Um, and, and so Guy went in to try and to face the media, Daniel-like, you know, the, the, the rock star. And he looks like a bit of a rock star, does old Guy. And, uh, and play, played this role of trying to, to, to face the music, sort of representing Jesus and his church. And, and I, have, I have a whole bunch of things that I wish that Guy had said. I mean, Guy did a great job. But, but when asked, you know, why did he take the job when he has such differing views to the club? I wish Guy had said something like, oh, it's... It's funny, Jesus, this is the guy we all follow, he has this incredible knack of loving people that he disagrees with. 
He's got this amazing ability just to be a blessing to them and love them at the same time as fundamentally thinking hugely differently and being as different to them as you could possibly imagine. It's almost his distinguishing feature if you read the Bible that he can do this. And I guess Andrew just thought that he'd be able to be a blessing to LGBTQIA plus people in that role, just like he's been able to be that in the past in his other roles, just like Jesus, because he's the guy we follow and we try and be like. Now, I wish Guy had said that, right? But there is no way I would have been able to get all of that out before Koshi interrupted me. Like, you know, you know, I would have tried to and I would have garbled it up and got it all wrong in my nervousness. See, we're not Daniel, we're not rock stars, we're just normal. See, what if the pointy end of the spear was turned away from prime ministers, away from archbishops and moderators to us, to you? Because it will. One day, you will have a difficult decision to make. In fact, if the funny thing is, this will be a topic for another sermon, you're actually always on the front lines of the spiritual war, even when it's not in the papers. Anyway, another sermon, another sermon, but we'll do that. Now look, we get into the story. Nebuchadnezzar cannot take a hint, right? This is an interesting guy because after having God's sovereignty demonstrated, chapters one and two, God's ability to tell the future and to even tell what his dream was, Nebuchadnezzar demonstrates this incredible talent for not getting God. And so he takes a leaf from the dream. Oh, you are that king. You are the gold head. And says, right, I'm going to make the whole statue. <laughs> I'm going to make the whole statue then. And like disproportionately, massively, like also like very, very skinnily, like, like if you look at the dimensions, disproportionately huge and high, he takes that gold head and makes the whole statue. Sets it up on the plane. Almost sounds like, uh, sounds like Tower of Babel, the language there, which is where Babylon is, of course. And then says, now it's kind of unclear because as you see through, it's unclear whether the statue is him or is a statue of his gods, but either way, it represents his rule and his power. And he then says, everyone must worship it. Everyone must upon pain of death. Now, this isn't a target the Jews thing, is it? This wasn't if you're going to translate it to the one day, one day, this isn't directly a persecution of Christianity. It's just a broad policy. Broad policy that followers of Yahweh can't participate in. You can't do it. And there are some who are jealous of the power that these three Jews have been given. Did you notice that there? That was the issue. Actually, flick up, we'll flick up some verses just so we've got that in the background. Um, the issue there is this, that these guys... Where are we? That these guys have been jealous of all of the power that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have. Where are they? Where's the... There we go. These guys, you have put in charge of the province of Babylon, and yet they pay no attention to you. You see, this is a, a, a broad thing, a broad bit of not quite legislation, but a command from the king is probably more powerful than that. And yet there are some people who are going to use this generalized law to target people that they dislike. To target people who they dislike because historically those people have had more power than them. Now you might see that there's you know, analogies to our world. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, you can actually see here, he's actually, he does fly into a rage, but he could be okay with this. See, when he says what you have to do, he says, is it true that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I've set up? He's not saying, um, well, you need to believe in them. He's just saying you need to bow the knee. 
He's not, not saying you must believe this, but he is saying you must toe the line. Don't let this misunderstanding get out of hand, guys. Sure, sure, sure. You got your little beliefs, whatever. But no, no, no. You just do the right thing. Everything's going to be okay. And if you don't do the right thing, I'm going to make your life over. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they're, they're Hebrew names. They say, no, we will not do what you say. There's interesting, it's interesting, at the, at the start of verse 17 there, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, there's actually, an, there's actually a, a maybe, a, a, an if at the start of that. And it's not if we're thrown into the blazing furnace. It, it, it's actually if the God whom we serve is able to save us. They don't say it like they're certain. They, they actually say, quite literally in the Hebrew, they say, well, how would you put it? If our God's able to save us, because he says, who will be able to save you from my hand? Well, if our God's able to save us, maybe him. Now, it's not actually expressing doubt in their God, because obviously these guys, this is pretty gutsy. But they're hypothetically, well, hypothetically, well, maybe our God, you'll find out. And he might not save us. But I don't care. <laughs> you see, this is interesting. This is, this is, these men have obviously so much trust in their God, and yet that's not what they base this on. You see, they base their resistance not on the fact that they know God will save them, or even a sense that maybe there'll be a resurrection in the last day and that God could save them then. No, it's just, it's just I'm not going to be unfaithful to my God. I don't care, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, then we will not serve you. We will not bow down and worship that statue that you've set up. You see, the, 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 the reason, the, the, the care, the, 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 the factor that changes things for them is they just are faithful to their God. They love their God and they're not going to abandon him. It's not actually that they know that their self-interests are secured in the long term. It's that they're just not going to abandon their God anyway. Nebuchadnezzar rages. And here you start to see what this is all about. This is all about power, is it not? But, but, but power in, a, in an ancient Near East way, in, in a face way, in, a, in an honour, in a perception of power. You see everyone bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue at Nebuchadnezzar's command. And when Nebuchadnezzar doesn't get what he wants, when the thing that he has based all of his life on is threatened, and that is that his power will be bowed down to by everyone, then he goes into a rage. And this is normal. This is normal behaviour. Uh, have you ever had someone just get really angry in a way that you didn't expect? Just someone, they just flew off the handle or, or just got really upset at you and you didn't realise you'd, you'd pressed the wrong button. This is what happens when people's idols get threatened. When someone puts put their security or hope in something and you threaten to take that away. Maybe, maybe you're a teacher and you accidentally told a, a parent that um, maybe their child isn't quite as smart as they thought they were or, or they're not going to be, be this, this, this incredible person that you thought that they were going to be. And, and you've actually threatened something that they were banking all of their value and their worth on. See, for Nebuchadnezzar, it was that my arm is the strongest. My hand is the most powerful. And you're defying me. 
I'm not getting what I want and I'm not used to that. And so he kills his own men in his greed for the blood of those who have defied him. His, his, his God of his own strength is threatened. And so he murders. And yet, and yet, God vindicates his people. Didn't we tie up three? Wasn't there three? And he looks in, and there's four. And they're not, they're not toast. They're recognisable. The others who died aren't recognisable. But these four are there, and one of them was like the son of the gods, which, which, which is actually, it's not a bad translation, like a god, because that's all the son of the gods means. This is, this is a divine being that he sees. And at this point, God, Yahweh, speaks Nebuchadnezzar's language, power. And he changes tone. Aha, he's the powerful one. And you can almost imagine Nebuchadnezzar being like, right, okay, I'm going to add him to my collection. He's, he's, I'm going to be on board with this God because he's where the power's at. And he, he's okay again because he's got this power and he is going to go and he is going to say, no one, I'm going to curry favour with this God and no one now on the pain of death again is allowed to, to, um, to pray to any God other than this one. Uh, you, you see, the, 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 when God speaks the language of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's idolatry, he's on board. But of course, as we go through the chapters, we'll find out that that's a very shallow, shallow conversion. And yet God wins again. Now, as I, as I, as I see Nebuchadnezzar looking at that figure and saying, oh, that's got to be God. It reminded me of something. I think it reminds us of another moment of kingly wrath, a moment when the centurion looked up at the cross of Christ and somehow realised that's got to be God. Surely that's the Son of God. When the true king of the world poured out his fury at the cross and instead of God being in the fire with his people, God walked in the fire alone. For his people. You see, the, the thing that is beautiful about this sort of image of God walking in the fire with his people is that when you suffer, when it's hard for you, and when you wonder where God is, he was there first. Like, like, you know the footprints poem? You know the, the, the idea that when, when you're walking along there, there's these two set of footprints and there's this sort of space where there's only one set of footprints and the person feels like, oh God, well, that was the hardest time of my life. Why did you abandon me? And, and, and the answer is, that's when I carried you. And it's like, well, yeah, but no, there's a lot of footprints in that area, in that hard area. God's been walking there for a while. He was there first. He was there in Nebuchadnezzar's furnace. He was at the cross well before you started suffering for your trust in God or even suffering for your own sin. Jesus was suffering for the good news of the gospel and Jesus was suffering for your sin. You are never alone in your suffering because God got there first. Waiting for you to follow in his footsteps. I'll talk a little bit more about that another time, about the joy of suffering in the footsteps of Jesus. Now, so if we're going to stop and ask, so how do we know what to do in our modern world 
as followers of this Jesus who suffered and died for us, the one who saved us in the same way as Daniel, as um, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego did not have any uh, even smell of smoke on them, that, that sin has not even got a hand, that doesn't kind of lay a glove on you. As we serve that Jesus, how do we work out what to do? How do we work out whether we campaign and rail and fight like David against the Goliaths or whether we play it cool like Daniel? Well, first we have to work out where, where we are. This is how you do it. This is work out where you are. You act differently in an orchestra, like an orchestra recital, um, like, uh, you know, Lucy went to, to the orchestra, the Tasmanian Symphony orchestra, orchestra last night. I imagine that she acted very, very differently there during Mozart's Requiem. So what I did when I went to my last gig that I went to, which was um, a thrash metal concert, right? And we were all jumping up and down and there's a bunch of many men who I didn't know who were half hugging me and half bearing me and all sorts of weird things. And it's very, very different. You act differently in Vietnam in 1965, even to New York on September 11, 2001. The Bible reflects this. It has contextual ethics. It has different ethical frameworks for different kinds of times. There's different instructions in the Garden of Eden than it is to even Abraham as he sojourns in the Garden of Canaan when it's not his yet which is different to the ethics of Moses in slavery in, in Egypt, or Joshua as he enters the land and conquers like a, like a sort of slaying warrior, which is different again to the captives as they go into exile. So the question for us is, where are we so that we will know how to act for us now? And I wanted to argue that Babylon in Daniel's time is not a bad approximation for us. Daniel in Babylon is not a bad approximation for our point in history. Now, 1 Peter picks up on this. Um, I'll just jump forward to 1 Peter 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and this is his letter to a general bunch of churches, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, he could be referring to the fact that they just don't happen to live in Jerusalem. They're not in Israel at this point. But he's probably not just talking to Jews. He's talking to Jews and Gentiles in these churches. And so you see, as Peter writes to Christians, people who trust in Jesus well after Daniel's time, the metaphor that he uses is people who are not in their home who are away from God, away from the city that actually bears their citizenship. And so the same as that, that means that just the same as the people in those places were not to be of the culture of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia. Well, we're not to be of the same culture as the people in Hobart. We're not, we don't live for the same things. Uh, we're not trying to make a living and give our kids better opportunities than we had, at least not as the ultimate end goal, we're seeking to make disciples and store up treasure in heaven because we're aliens to this place. We need to eat and so forth, but we're not living for here. We've got to have a whole different mindset about who we are in order to understand how we relate to the place where we are. Now, God told Jeremiah this when he, when he spoke to Jeremiah, this prophet, about going into this uh, this uh, exile in Babylon, he said this. Now, submit to this judgment that I'm giving you. I'm sending you off into exile. It's your punishment. Take your medicine. 
But when you're there, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. These are the, these are the ethics of the exile. Love the people and the place that you've been placed, even though you're far from home, that it may prosper. Ask God to bless it, and in that you too will be blessed. And one Peter picks that up. Um, it's hard to see here, but particularly in the Greek, the, 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 the sort of be a good citizen word that's there picks up exactly that same idea. You're aliens in this world, yet live such good lives, be such a good citizen among the pagans. Da, 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 we'll get there. Now, what did, if the exile is our metaphor, if we're thinking of ourselves as being in exile here now, away from home, well, what did Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah do in exile? Now, this is only just descriptive, not prescriptive. You know the difference between descriptive and prescriptive? Right? So one thing, I'm describing what happened, but I'm not telling you that's what you've got to go do. I'm just telling you what happened. That's what Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah did. Um, but if I was being de- prescriptive, I'm like, no, you need to go do exactly what they did. This is just descriptive, not prescriptive, but it's worth still noticing, okay? This is just what happened, not commands what should always happen. But those three guys were not out campaigning for religious freedom in Babylon. They were busy being faithful in a place that had no religious freedom. See, they, they didn't, that's just not what they were into. Now, we live in a democracy, which sort of actually invites us into political life. And you think, okay, so maybe we ought to as well. Um, and yet Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, they worked that too. They were officials. They were elected officials. They didn't quite have the real power to make massive change at the pointy end of the stick, obviously. They were getting chucked into the furnace. But, but they did have more power than your average pleb. And yet it seems that they simply kept their heads down and worked within the environment that they were in. And yet they would have had so much to protest. Think about it, so much evil. Every meal tainted with the worship of Babylonian gods, whether it's meat from the king's table that you'd refuse or vegetables that had been offered to other gods anyway. And of course, maybe they did protest against those things. And you can see their character. But it's not what God has recorded here for us to follow. You see, what brought about blessing? What is the one thing that God does want us to get from Daniel 3, the very, the very centre of the story, the thing that, the thing that you can't... This, okay, this is the moment where we're going to ask the question, what can I not walk away from tonight, from this afternoon, thinking? What's the, thing, what's the impossible application? What's the thing I can't walk away and, and, and miss? The very centre of the story is those three men's personal integrity and faithfulness to their God, their refusal to bow the knee to any other than Yahweh. When it asks me to bow the knee to something other than my own God, I will not do that. If I can't do this action to the glory of Yahweh, to the glory of my God, to the glory for us, to the glory of Jesus, if I can't do this action with joy in my heart to the glory of Jesus, that action is not permitted for me. Because he is the one I worship. He is the most high God. Nebuchadnezzar would have my head even in that moment if I did anything other than for the glory of that God. Because he got it, even in a weird, twisted, power-only kind of way. If I can't do this thing to the glory 
of Jesus, then I can't do this thing. That's the center. Now, look, this is the difficulty we find ourselves in. We, there are hot topic issues at the moment. Issues where God's design for how humans can live wisely and well is very different to many in the way the modern world would have us do it. Now, it's not abnormal, really, or weird, or especially this, in this area that Christians disagree and have different morality than, than non-Christians. That's, that's really normal. But there is something a little different about today, isn't there? than it has been, at least for Australia in, the, in history before this. Some people who I talk to, who are talking about things like inclusivity, some of those people really just care. They just re- they've seen people get bruised and hurt and bullied and attacked or made to feel less than human because they act with mannerisms more like the opposite gender or because they're attracted to people of the same sex. And when they ask for support, when they ask for people to support that, they just care about people. I know people like that. Some other people that I hear and see in public life, they see inclusivity and they use it like those jealous men in Babylon used it to hurt people that they hated because they hated the power that those people had, historically had. And I hear that too. You see, it's sometimes it can be Daniel 1 for us where ah, there's nothing wrong with eating from the king's table, but just as a stand, I don't want to let, that, I don't want to let his culture set my culture. I want, to, I, want to, I want to set out my life to be demarked out for Jesus. And so there's stuff that happens in the culture I just don't want myself to be influenced by, but it's there and it's not sin, but it's there. And then other times it's Daniel 2 where there's, difficult situations and Christians need to step up and do good and take care of and, and do good and step into the breach like Daniel did and save a whole bunch of people's lives by serving. And sometimes that same stepping up will cost Christians their job, their life. What, something that I call, just for sake of a name, sexual individualism it, it, it is, is, is like a religion in our world, in some places. Uh, Like Nebuchadnezzar's statue, in some places it demands our allegiance. It will not be satisfied unless every person that it comes across is willing to affirm anyone else's choice of sexual and gender expression. Must affirm it, no matter what. Regardless of age, biology, or even their future health, this is the God that we must bow down and serve. Now, I'm pretty cynical about this. I, I, actually, I actually mark the moment of change in our world in this when the marketers of companies realised that they were going to make more money by switching sides from a more conservative side to a, um, to a, a, a I guess, a more progressive agenda. I, I just, that's, that's where all the force comes from, I think, primarily. So I'm a bit sort of cynical about the, the idealism of some of the uh, sales figures seems to run things. Always follow the money trail when you're not sure why something's happening. See, sometimes laws are put in place that aren't targeting Christians, but like Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, some people will use them to target Christians. And sometimes it'll get full on. So you're at school. So different, different incidents is the same thing. You're at school, you're there, and you're at a, or maybe you're after school, you're there with your mates, and your friends are putting pressure on you to drink with them, to, to watch porn with them. They're showing you stuff. And the pressure's on. 
take drugs with them. And it is social death if you don't. Can you do those things to the glory of Jesus? If you can't, it's not an option for you. If you can, then it's good. If your work asks you because you're the nice guy around the office to organise the LGBT Solidarity Day. You're someone who's known for supporting, caring for people around the office and, you know, or maybe you're the person who's known as a Christian they think that you're not and so someone puts you on the spot deliberately to show up that maybe that's something that you're not sure if you could do to the honour and glory of Jesus. The question is, can you do this to the honour and glory of Jesus? If you can't, then you can't do it. Now, how do we do, how do we, how, how, how do we, how do we place ourselves then? Well, 1 Peter is brilliant for this because the second half there, verse 12, as you can see on the screen, it, it helps us to understand the balance of what we have to do. Um, Stephen McAlpine uh, has a book called Being the Bad Guy. Um, and, and it's sort of talking about how we sort of can't think of ourselves as in the current world being the good guys that we, that we need to just show everyone what that, with that we're the good guys. Because if your objective is for the people in your world to think that you're the good guy, you get, it's not going to work. Let's, let's unpack verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. First part, do good. Confuse them with love. Mess with their heads with how much you support them and care for them and, and, and help them on a rough day. That is our job. That is who we're to be because we are to reflect the culture of heaven, which is where love and, and bringing about life and joy is our, is, our, is our culture. But the second half do you see there, don't assume that all your good will count because look at when they will glorify God. It's not now. You see, we do good to our fellow humanity without, without having the objective. Of course, we can have the desire for them to see that and think, oh, that's really lovely. But, we, but that can't be your objective because it might not happen. People may see your love as evil and call it that. That's quite possible. You can't secure your own reputation. You can't live for your own reputation. You can't secure it because it's only on the day that he visits us that we know that they will glorify God for what we have done. It's only then. You can have a desire that people will like you and think that you're great because of the way that you've loved them. But the only thing you can control is whether you love them. But if we are disruptively good, confusingly kind, especially to those who disagree us, disagree with us, disagree with us, especially those who we're not supposed to even hang out with or they wouldn't have thought we would have hung out with, like Jesus seemed to do. And sometimes, sometimes, you know, like you might be the only guy who at work who talks up his wife instead of joining in the wife bashing conversations at Smoko. And so then when someone has a crack at you for your understanding of, of, of women and, and how you know, to, to rightly love and care for them, then maybe there'll actually be a woman who stands up and says, hey, I've heard the way that you talk about your wife. I've heard the way they talk about his wife. I'd rather be his wife than yours. 
Maybe. Maybe not. We can't guarantee it. Do good. Do good. Now look. Oh, sorry, I think I slid past an important bit. Now we don't know when we'll be asked to bow the knee. And it's really hard for us to judge for other people what they should or shouldn't participate in or not. You see, different situations will look different to different Christians and that's actually okay. Like, is this, is this a meat from the king's table issue or is this a bowing down to the idol statue issue? They're hard. I've had, you know, me and Matt have spent like hours sitting around talking about, you know, this particular ethical issue of should we do this or should we do that? And we've thrown each other both arguments from both sides of the thing for, for hours and thinking, yeah, we're kind of a little closer, but we're not quite there yet. We don't really know what the... What is the line as to what is good love and what is bowing the knee to an alternate religion, to something that is not Jesus? It's hard. And different Christians will come to different conclusions about some of these things, and that is okay. And in Romans 14, as you might have heard um, David Jones last year gave a talk on that, um, about being fully convinced in your own mind as to what honours Jesus. And once you do that, if he is the absolute king of that decision, then that's how you know that you're doing the right thing. Now do it together, get wisdom. I, invite, I encourage you, have a, chat, have a chat with Matt or Steve or Stephen or, or Tim, our, our elders. Have a chat with the elders about issues that are hard for you that you don't know what to do with when there's work. Chat to your, your brothers and your sisters at church here. Let's work together on this stuff. But we, we can't pretend like these things won't happen. Like we won't get put in the crosshairs at some point. But when that does happen, the God who saved from Nebuchadnezzar's hand will save all who trust him. There will be a day when he will pull down the curtain of this age and the intent of your heart will be revealed and people will glorify God for all of the things that maybe they curse you for now if they've been done in love. And so if you're misunderstood now, don't lose heart. If you lose your reputation now, don't lose heart. If you lose your job now for Jesus, well done. Well done. You will not fail to receive many times more in the age to come. And everyone will see the love in your heart that came from Jesus. And he will save you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we live in this time of exile away from you. In a culture that, well, I mean, and our sin contributes to it, but doesn't, doesn't honour you. And Father, it's... It can be scary. Like, I mean, man, oh, wouldn't want to be Hananiah. And yet, we'll face it. So, Father, please, please prepare our hearts now. Train us. Get us talking, praying, thinking. Get us out of the idea that we're here to live, a, to live for a cozy life now in this world and get us thinking like exiles who are living for the time when we go back home. Father, we pray that we would, that we would, Honour King Jesus, the one who walked into suffering for us, who was in the fire first, and that we would be faithful to him. We wouldn't let go of him. We wouldn't be neglectful of his kingship, like Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Father, we just pray for us as a church together, that when people suffer loss in this world for your name, we'd be there for each other so that it wouldn't seem so bad. 
but also to encourage each other, Lord, that there will be a day when the thoughts and the, the motivations of our hearts will be known and people who had previously cursed will praise you for the goodness that you have put into our hearts as you have changed us. And Lord, we pray that that day will come soon. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.